Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 89 of Yogaland. So the time has come for the Jill Miller fascia episode. If you've been following the podcast, you know that I spoke to Jill a few months ago. And when I originally scheduled our interview, I thought we were going to talk about fascia. And then I learned that she was having a hip replacement. So we really focused on that. She was kind enough to come back on the show two more times because you're going to get a double fascia dose this week. On this episode, Jill and I kind of just scratched the surface of this complex tissue. We both kind of talk about different definitions of fascia, including the Fascia Research Congress definition. And we start to get into the layers and what they do. Overall, these two episodes put together, I think really make up a very strong body of work about what fascia is, why we should care about it, and how we should care for it. So that's really my goal. You might notice with these two episodes more than some of the other episodes that this is new subject matter to me. So my questions are a little bit less linear than usual because I'm learning as I go. So here's to all of us learning together and enjoy the episode with Jill. Should we talk about fascia? Let's fascia it up. talk about fascia. And of course, I'm sure we'll be able to relate it to things you've gone through too. Because I had pulled a little definition of fascia from runner's world, which is one of the most helpful definitions that I had found. And you have some too. Do you have them at your fingertips? Do you have them? I do. I have them right here on my desktop. Great. And I have some other fascia resources next to me in case you ask me something that I would like like to double check. Sure, of course. So how is fascia described? What's the definition? I want to hear the runner's world definition. I think it's important that we are able to have digestible definitions as well as the more scientifically approved definitions. Uh, Yes. So the runner's world definition is fascia is made up primarily of densely packed collagen fibers that create a full body system of sheets, cords, and bags that wrap, divide, and permeate every one of your muscles, bones, nerves, blood vessels, and organs. Every bit of you is encased in it. You're protected by fascia, connected by fascia, and kept in taut human shape by fascia. So I like that one because it was so visual. I would call this a very uh, sort of elastic and structural definition of fascia and almost like a marionette kind of, because it's like it, it, it encases it, mm-hmm. but it's missing something. It's missing something really significant. And I think we'll get to that in a second, but it's really missing the fluid relationship that, that fascia is a, is really a part of what it is for you is your fluid reservoir. So I want to share two other definitions with you. The first definition is the most recent Fascia Research Congress call out. So this is a, the, the new fascia definition that's going into the annals of anatomy and will be, from what I understand, the correct definition for the time being. Right? This group of fascia researchers got together and it was a very select group and it was I want to say there's a very controversial definition, but this is the approved definition as of now. And this was released in September 2015 in Washington, D.C. And this is the definition. A fascia is a sheath 
sheet, or any number of dissectable aggregations of connective tissue that forms beneath the skin to attach and close and separate muscles and other internal organs. So that was the definition. And I was there, I was, I was part of the, the body of the Congress. And when that definition was read, there were gasps in the audience. Why? Because it seems to leave out some of the other things that fascia is, or that fascia seems to be, or that has been part of fascia research for the last dozen, 20, you know, 20 years since fascia research has become a very popular and reviewed thing. So the, the fascia definition really seems to honor the myofascial fascia, which is, would be the, the, the muscly fascia fascia, and also the fascial tissues that support organs, but it doesn't necessarily include another major fascial tissue that is all is ubiquitous, is all over the body, which is the superficial fascia, which is the, the fatty layer that is directly underneath your skin and also is a part of your organ layer and is the repository for the majority of fluids in your body. So it seemed to a little bit, and look, I'm not a fascia research scientist and I was not asked to speak on fascia and the fascia studies I've done have been both through book reading, through dissection labs with Gil Headley, through investigating cadavers at other labs. I'm not in a lab every day, in and day out. And most of my experience with fascia has been in my own body and then touching other humans. But I wanted to go ahead. You ask your question, then I'll share something else. Well, I I was just going to ask, I've actually listened to a podcast with Gil Headley where he talked about superficial fascia and how once he really started to pay attention to it, he had such a different appreciation for the body and his body and for the fat that we all have. But I'm not remembering now, so I'll ask you this clarifying question for everyone listening. So superficial fascia is not the same thing as adipose tissue, or is it? Or is it, is it a part of adipose tissue, or is it? Maybe it would help if I can explain. I mean, we're talking about a definition of fascia, but some people, like even those two definitions may not actually help someone who knows nothing about fascia. So, so fascia is my short, like, elevator pitch definition of fascia is it's your seam system. It's the seam system of your body. It's what interconnects everything together. And the easiest way to consider fascia, if you're unfamiliar with it, is to think of meat. And I'm sorry if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, because this is, can be very unsavory. But if, for example, if you're, if you've got a a breast of chicken and so it's a breast with the bones, the skin, right? That everyone say, oh, that's a chicken skin. Right? That's that fatty, like greasy thing on top of the breast. You peel that off, but as you're peeling that off, there's this springy, elastic, non-fatty membrane between that fatty layer and then the chicken meat. So the fatty layer on top would be called superficial fascia. The thin membranous, springy thing between the fatty layer and the meat would be called a deep fascia. 
Okay. Got it. But there's something between the deep fascia and the superficial fascia. And there are different definitions of that. But I call in my, in the rule model book, I call it loose fascia. And a lot of people call it loose fascia, but it can also be called um, a fascial interface. Gill's now calling it a perifascial membrane. Um, but really what it is, it's, it's another layer of fascial tissues, of, of seam tissues that sew the superficial layer to the deep layer. And then between the deep layer and the chicken is more of this perifascial stuff or more of this loose fascia. So you have layers upon layers that slide between them, but it doesn't stop there because the fascial tissues dive into every segmentation of the actual muscle. So you have fascias that surround a whole muscle, but then you also have smaller agglomerations or smaller collections of fascial tissue that surround groups of muscle fibers. And that's called the paramecium. Okay. So that, by the way, the epimesium surrounds a whole muscle. Then you get a little bit smaller. You've got the paramecium, which is a, a bundle of muscle fibers. And then if you get down just the single muscle fiber, you still have more fascia yet surrounding individual muscle fibers, and that's called endomesium. And the fascias from the endomesium basically string to each larger and larger collection so that everything really is interconnected mm -hmm. from inside out, from top to bottom, from skin to deep. All the fascial tissues are a, they are a network that collect, collect and hold you together and provide multiple functions. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a, a definition of fascia that I have created and it's come together from so many different fascial readings. I probably have 12 or 13 books just on fascia in my library, maybe 10, maybe not 12 or 13 when I'm looking down here. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of different influences here, but here's my definition. It's long. And this isn't even the one in the role model because after the 2015 Congress, I was like, oh, I left out some stuff too. Mm -hmm. And okay. So fascia is your living fibrous and gelatinous body wide web. It is a seam system that provides structure, protection, repair, force transmission, and body sense. It is your interconnected soft tissue scaffolding that gives your body form, shape, and felt continuities of motion. Its unique arrangement links other connective tissue structures to one another, thus forming a comprehensive web with biotensional and compressive integrity. Its variable textures interconnect the multiple layers and systems of your body while serving as a highway for tissues to relate to one another, including musculoskeletal, vasculature, neurological, visceral, lymphatic, and more. In short, fascia is the body's living, aqueous knitting fabric. That's awesome. That's really helpful. Well, it, it, it's long, but I have to say, you know, when I started sort of diving into this topic, it's a little bit of a, a rabbit hole. So you kind of, if you're, if you're going to start diving into it, you kind of got to dive into it. Would you mind sending that to me? I would love to just like oh, sure. have that and, and be able to read it. I want to back up for just a moment because I'm so curious. I'm so curious as to, because you're not the only person who's talked about this 
International Fascia Research Congress, mm -hmm. which is impossible to say slowly, let alone you can't even, you know, imagine saying it's five times fast. And I'm so curious as to who these people are, why you're all getting together, what the goal is, and kind of, I mean, Mike, what I kind of hear actually in that runner's world story, it said, fascia is the Cinderella story of the anatomy world, which I think is hysterical. Well, that actually, that should be attributed to Thomas Myers. Okay. He's very good at, at, at creating good metaphors. So he's called fascia, the Cinderella of the body. Okay. So, um, and, so and he's not going to get attributed and credited because his work has become so common that people don't even realize where it's come from. But that is a Tom Myers thing. Okay. So, and actually I'm remembering now that 15 years ago at Yoga Journal, we talked, we used to talk about doing a fascist story and we would sit around, the editorial team would sit around and someone would say, God, you know, we really should do a fascist story with Tom Myers and who wants to do it? And everyone would sort of sit with their hands behind their back, like not it, because we knew it was so complicated right. and we knew there was so much unknown. So right. my guess is that this Congress has come about because fascia has been longly ignored, but I would just love to know from your perspective, what it's, what's it about? Who is it? And why does it exist? Thomas Finley, Robert Schleip, and I'm sure I'm leaving out some other Titan came together and, you know, they, re I guess they realized that there was research happening. Look, I'm not a historian, so I'm not going to be able to tell you the exact history, but I know that in 2005, uh, Harvard hosted their first uh, Congress. God, I hope it was okay. 2005 or was it 2007? Um, and what they did was they attracted, you know, they put a whatever research, how, however you're able to solicit research papers uh, from the worldwide clinical and research, scientific research audience. And it was a significant assembly and they were able to come together and see what the different perspectives were, were from different trains of thought. You know, not everybody is interested, you know, in the fatty layer. Other people are interested in the deep fascia layer. Some people are interested in the mechanical properties of fascia. Other people are interested in the immune system functions of fascia. Other people are uh, interested in the pain research as it relates to fascia. So there's so many different avenues that connective tissue, that the fascial tissues can take. And so that ended up exciting people to do this Congress every three years. And so there's also okay. a fascia research society, which I'm a member of, and they just sent out an email two days ago and I, I didn't get a chance to read it. Like that's that, oh, now that happens, right? But the other guy that they modeled the fascia research Congress on is Andre Fleming's low back I believe it's either the Low Back Congress or the Low Back and Pelvic Congress. And he's a, I think, a Dutch researcher. And he's one of the most knowledgeable people on the planet about the sacroiliac joint and about the sacrum, sacroiliac joints, excuse me, and the sacrum. So anyway, they modeled, so he had some influence in it. Anyway, it's a lot of significant international researchers who come together. And um, now, like, from somebody like me, who's just like this, you know, student of what I am of, of movement, so many of these researchers' research have become pegs upon which my system relies on or is built on in terms of informing my 
students on the efficacy of what we're doing Mm -hmm. because people want to know why things work. And I wanted to know why things work and why does rolling around on a small grippy rubber ball have this impact on this, 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 and this. And so I've been able to support some of the side effects by looking through their research, you know, and that gives them steam too to dive deeper into more whys and more hows. And, and at this point, the exponential growth of fascia research is just nonstop. The next Congress is in November in Berlin. And I was just looking at plane flights yesterday. Cool. Yeah. That sounds fun. Well, thank you for that. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that I... <laughs> it's only fun. Let me tell you, like, like, do you want to know what's not fun? Is sitting in a lecture hall with 80% clinical research scientists who speak languages of, the, you know, sort of the language of graphs that you don't speak. And you're like, oh my God, this graph is really intense and it looks important. And there's, there's, in like symbols that I remember from trigonometry, but what does that symbol mean? It's, it really hurts your brain. I mean, that's what it sounds like. It sounds simultaneously like incredibly serious and, and, uh, cerebral, but also, also fun and exciting. So one thing, and I might be sort of skipping ahead too quickly, but you know, as I was looking at my questions again, that, you know, that I had written a few months ago before we first spoke, the question that comes up for me for this podcast, for people listening is, you know, because we, fascia has been largely ignored, um, how does that affect, potentially affect our yoga practice, right? And, or another way of asking that is how can we incorporate our understanding of fascia into our yoga practice. The cool thing about your question is that it's always been there for you. It's always been a part of your practice. It's right. been with you since you were 50 cells old. Because fascia, you come with fascia. Fascia comes with you. It ain't going anywhere. Um, but you can F it up. And because fascia is mainly, uh, maybe mainly fibers and fluids, the elasticity and the resilience of the collagen and elastin, it relies on healthy stimulus or it relies on on forces to help it regenerate, to help it stimulate the different structures that it enrobes, encases, and influences. It is also a massive nerve house. So there are a tremendous number of nerve endings that actually terminate in fascia. So your fascial tissues both have sensory ability and they also have pain relaying structures. And that's very helpful to know that I've heard people call it a living tissue or a, a, a tissue that feels things like this that feel a little vague to me and are, are a little bit throw me off, but hearing like, okay, nerve endings end in fascial tissue in certain places. That's sort of what they're saying is like, it senses in the sense that the nerve endings are there. And so if you're, if you're, let's say, overstretching fascia, there'll be a nerve response. Potentially. Potentially, potentially. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you, you can also dampen your perception, which is what you can dampen it or it's dampened. For example, in rehab yesterday, my I'm having a really hard time sensing hip extension. It either is completely painful or I can't feel it at all. Mm-hmm. This is just this big mystery about my rectus femoris tendon, which is fibrotic, which is a fascial condition, by the way. So the, the, the tendon sheath is very stiff and a little crispy, which tendons shouldn't be. They should feel elastic and have a ropey quality, but they should be pliable and not feel, you know, frankly, crunchy. So fibrosis happens when poor sliding or poor motion is happening between fascial layers and the fluid, the fluid environment isn't healthy. It's not regenerating at a a correct speed or you've dried it out through overstretching or you've injured, you know, you've injured through overstretching and then the fluids can't get in because you're in an inflammatory response. So basically the fibrosis is an overgrowth of collagen, not enough correct fluids in there and you get dry on the inside. So I have fibrosis, but the fibrosis, because these connective tissues also have mechanoreceptors or fascial feedback sensors, I get lost in space. Like when, when, when I'm able to turn or when we're able to shut off the pain response, I can't actually propriocept. I don't, my body senses shut down there on the sensation of hip extension. So our fascial tissues are nestled with body sensing nerve endings, these proprioceptors and pain sensing nerve endings. And they have an inverse relationship to one another. So the more, the more that the nociceptors, the pain sensors in those fascial tissues are aroused, it's going to shut down the body's ability to perceive where it is in space. But then if you have a heightened sense of body sense, a heightened sense of proprioception, it works on the opposite. It will um, diminish pain sensing. Hmm, interesting. That's from research that Robert Schleit did. Um, yeah, I'd have to look up exactly the citation, but that that inverse relationship I got from him. And he's one of the founders of the, the Research Congress. I'm trying to kind of nail down what's been missing in our understanding of anatomy in yoga. And so I'm just putting this together and wondering what you think. We always talk about, you know, we, we refer to our muscles when we talk about whether or not we can quote unquote do a pose, right? Like I'm sort of speaking in shorthand for the sake of ease. So let's say someone is doing triangle pose and they want to get their hand to the floor really badly and they can't get their hand to the floor. And so they start to think, well, what do I have to do to get my hand to the floor? Well, maybe I have to open my, my front leg hamstring. It seems like the one thing that fascia can add to this picture or an understanding of fascia can add to this picture is that it might not necessarily be your hamstring. It might be something very far away from your, it might be some fascia far away from your hamstring that is stuck. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology that's affecting the whole pose. Is that, does that making sense? I'm trying to kind of describe to people, yeah, how they can think about this in a beneficial way. Okay, so because the body is interconnected, tensions in a local area are often a 
they have a global effect, or it could be that, you know, you have some chronic pain in the right side of your jaw or chronic tension, like maybe you have TMJ. And you also notice that when you do a forward bend that your this is, let's say your right, your right side of your jaw is very tense. When you do a forward bend, your left hand gets closer to the ground, that the tension in the jaw, for whatever reason, you have tension in your jaw, there is a, uh, the spider web of tension is pulled from the right side of the jaw all the way through the right side of the body down to the bottom of the right foot. And so maybe if I, and if I'm, and if I'm thinking about, we can think this in terms of Tom Meyer's anatomy trains, where he details uh, specific fascial continuities in different regions of the body that are replicable and, and commonly held. So if I roll the bottom of my foot, let's say, bottom of my right foot with a, a therapy ball or some type of tool, or maybe somebody does massage on my foot, maybe even I do massage on my foot, and then you stretch again, your hands might have equalized, right? You might be able to get yourself into a forward bend. But I might also try to massage the right side of my jaw and then try that forward bend. That might be enough to also relinquish the unconscious tensional holding that's happening all the way through that side of the body. So you, you'll see that happen very quickly, actually. It doesn't take a lot to turn off some of that, that tensional relationships that you'll see. That is exactly what I was trying to describe. Thank you for giving that example. And I just put something together in my own life, which is that it's a little bit embarrassing, but we all do it. I look at my phone too much and, you know, I still help my daughter fall asleep at night. So sometimes I'm so tired after she falls asleep that I'm just laying in bed, scrolling, scrolling, mm -hmm. scrolling. Right. And I have noticed that if I scroll for too long, I stand up and I have really bad sacroiliac pain. Oh, I, interesting. Yeah. It goes all the way down, like down my arm, along the side of my torso, down to my sacroiliac. Like I right. have to work on my hips after using my phone. Right. So there's something there. Yeah. And you'll find these really strange continuities all over the body that you'll roll out your chest and all of a sudden you're able to get your hands on the ground, no pain in your wrists and handstand. Like from the, you know, the relinquishing of tension in the pectoralis, you know, there's a fascia relationship all the way down to your fingertips. But the relationships are, you know, so there's the tensional relationship. And then there's also when you're doing certain rolling practices or stretch practices, there's also the coolant effect on the central nervous system. And so as the central nervous system gets out of the sympathetic and more towards the parasympathetic, we tend to have more motion available on a joint port joint basis, the, the fascial tissues no longer are as guarded, right? So the relaxation response helps to minimize our body's natural bracing response. Our, we brace to stress, both known and unknown stresses. We're constantly bracing for them. And so that's another way that we can look at the, the nervous system's relationship to, to the fascial tension that we have. That's so interesting. I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again in this interview, but it is. 
wish you could come to a training because if you came to the train, like it's also like we do it really. I might be able to come to 1440 next year. I was looking on your website. I think you're coming to 1440 next summer. Yes. In August. And that's my, my diaphragm course. Basically my backyard. So. Oh, it's so beautiful up yeah. there. Yeah. In Santa Cruz. I've got my, my friend, uh, David Lezondak's book. It's my new favorite book on fascia. It's called fascia, what it is and why it matters. Just happened to open it up here to the muscle spindle page. Cause I know I started talking about muscle spindles and fascia and I just hope I didn't lose anybody <laughs> or confuse anybody. But let me, let me just read this little bit about the muscle spindle and fascia and, and body sense. Cause I think maybe this will help clarify right. what I was saying. Muscle spindles are sensory receptors located in the belly of the muscle. They are encapsulated in a layer of fascia that is actually an extension of the paramecium itself. So paramecium is the fascia that wraps groups of muscle cells. There's an additional layer of fascia around in a muscle spindle. So you get a bonus layer where there's a muscle spindle. And this is where these nerves are. Arranged in parallel with the power-producing extrafusal muscle fibers, muscle spindles are both stretch and speed receptors with primary and secondary endings. This makes me want to go back to, I edited a story with Roger Cole years ago for the anatomy column about the stretch reflex. And he talked, mm -hmm. and it was the most complicated thing I've ever edited in my life. And there was a lot about the muscle spindles. I want to go back and read that. Maybe I'll link to it in the show notes page and see if he even talked about fascia. I'm not sure that he did at that time. I think he did because I, I actually took that course with him okay. at Yoga House in Pasadena a few years ago or many years ago, probably 14 years ago. I, I'm again going back to the macro and then we'll get back to the, the more tactical stuff. Is there any movement by the Fascia Congress to have it recognized as a bodily system the way ah, yes. the nervous system is, the recognized the musculoskeletal system is recognized because yeah. it seems like it touches all the different systems? Yeah. So let's wrap back around to the fascia congress. So the fascia, so what this group of researchers was tasked with was to come up with two definitions. So glad you mentioned this, two definitions. One was fascia and the second definition is fascial systems. And that fascial systems definition was not, they hadn't agreed on it yet. And so I think my understanding is that it's going to be released at the next fascia research congress. So I think that that was one of the defenses or, you know, that they had to address when people were like, what about all this other stuff is to say, look, we as fascia researchers, we need to have not a bunch of different definitions out there floating in the universe, not in runner's world, not in Jill Miller's webinar. Like it's got to be the thing that we're basing science on. And that we can agree on, like we have to have something. Right. And so, right. So that is, they've got fascia and the next thing is fascial systems. And that fascial systems, my understanding is, is going to integrate and account for more of what the larger fascial integrated relationship to the body is. It just, there's so many different territories that it covers. It's a little, I guess it's a little unfair because something's going to get left out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like if it was actually recognized as a system, not to be crass, but it would just get actually more funding to be studied. It, it would just be legitimized in a way that would, it's really fascinating, actually, when you think about it that way, that uh, 
it hasn't been researched for very long. And like you said, the role that Tom Myers has had in saying this is important. This interconnection in the body is important. By the way, it was 2007 at Harvard, not 2005. 2007 okay. was the, fas- the first Fascia Research Congress. ideal world, how does the deeper fascia function? All right. So superficial fascia, you can think of it as a springy, spongy, fatty layer, and it's a cushion layer. And whenever you touch your skin or squeeze your skin, you're usually pinching that fatty layer. You can pinch it for right now. You can actually pinch your forearm. You can pivot it, and then you can move it from side to side, up and down, around the circle. And the reason you can move the superficial fascia over something that's underneath it is because you have the sliding zone. The sliding zone is the loose fascia or the interface or perifascial membrane. There's lots of different terms for it. Underneath that, you have the deep fascia. The deep fascia is uh, more of this wrapping structurally, uh, you know, it looks like it's encasing a muscle. And some of your some of the famous deep fascias that we know about are the iliotibial band would be considered a deep fascia, um, although it's actually a thickening. It's actually the iliotibial band is actually a tendon. It's actually an aponeurosis. It's a broad, flat tendon that's the continuity or the the tendinous portion of the gluteus maximus and the tensor fasciae But the fasciae is a that deep word. fascia That's that encases words. that encases the quadriceps. So when you're looking at um, meat, the silver skin on meat would be the the deep fascial tissue, and deep fascia looks much more organ, organized in its appearance. The superficial fascia looks like a a sponge. Deep fascia looks almost like um, stripedy or a beautiful long, ropey, duct tape-like layer that actually has this duct tape appearance at some predictable angles. So there's layers of the deep fascia layered on top of itself, and that gives a lot of structural integrity to the deep fascia. The elasticity of it or the distensibility, its ability to stretch and recoil, stretch and recoil is what allows our body to return to form. So when you stretch yourself, you don't actually lose your shoulder or your elbow when you stretch. You always return to a human form, right? And Mm -hmm. it's the collagen within the fascia that permits us to return to form, to have that spring back, to have our tissue spring back to form. But what Gill's been experimenting with, and I have to go back to Gill, he's been experimenting with superficial fascia's tensional properties by doing some like really interesting, innovating things in the lab. And I have a couple of colleagues that were with him when he was actually trying to ex- extracting the fat cells, the adipose cells from the superficial fascia, and then adding weights to the the bottom of the fascia 
of the superficial fascia and holding it up like a, gosh, I don't even know how to describe it, like a weighted barbell. So hmm. you have this huge fabric of fatty tissue. Let's mm-hmm. say it was from the front of the body. They spent hours and hours massaging out the fat cells from, from the, the superficial fascia. It took hours and hours to get basically to get rid of the, the fluid elements so that you're just left with the collagen and elastin matrix, which ends up looking like a sponge or it looks like the inside of my coolant for my mattress. I'll send you a photo of it. It's like a layer that goes on top of my mattress to keep it cool. So I'll send you that picture. Okay. Cause I can't get a picture from Gil of what the superficial fascia without fat cells looks like. And then he attached weights to the bottom of it with some clamps and he held it up and the, this was able to support, you know, 50 pounds of tractioning weight. And so you, that's, that's when we think of the durability of fascia, you think of the deep fascia as being this really durable thing that it's really hard to tear it and it can withstand a lot of forces and weight, but the superficial fascia also can, it just gets, it gets the Cinderella story of fascia. <laughs> Superficial fascia is because it's the fatty layer and it's been what Gil calls problematized in society. So I call it a bias. Like we have a really big bias against fat in Western culture. We're really into seeing people ripped and shredded, which I'm not. I think that's a really dangerous uh, nomenclature to use about your body because you want to be an integrated whole and not shredded, um, ripped or torn. But the fascial tissues are what prevents you from tearing because muscle cells are relatively terrible. Hmm. They're, they're easy to tear, but the fascia keeps the muscles from, you know, muscle cells from, from a lot of, well, they, they, it's part, part of muscle building is some amount of tearing. That sounds terrible. Um, no, I think most people have heard that, that there's, it's like a micro level of tearing to, to but that's, the trauma also happens at the fascia level and it takes longer for the fascia to repair itself because it has less blood flow than a muscle cell muscle muscles, just basically this wonderful bubble, you know, bu- blood bubble with um, some pretty awesome uh, elements within it. So this, this experiment with the holding the superficial fascia up with weights attached to the bottom, what was the goal with that? Aside from just uh, aside. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Going back to this big fascia definition, well, I think Gil was really upset at the fascia definition. In fact, I know he was. I saw him in the elevator afterwards and his eyes were red um, because all the years that he's put into his lab work and he's like, why isn't anybody talking about the superficial fascia? Why is this obsession with the deep fascia? So I think he, so he actually just finished a six month road tour around the country doing a lecture series called what's the fuzz or what the fuzz. And I saw him actually, that was my first outing after my surgery, two weeks after my surgery, I drove down to downtown LA. And if any of your listeners are familiar with downtown LA, it's like, it's not really where you want to go to a lecture on fascia. It's like, (laughs) it's just downtown LA is hard to navigate. And Gil bought me a parking spot. He's He's like an angel to me. There's illustrations of fascia in my in my book that he granted us, which is so nice of him. So I had my cane, which I used because I was like, I'm no, I didn't use it. I didn't use the cane. I walked without the cane. I didn't need the cane. But I tell you what, crossing Eighth Street or Sixth Street or whatever I crossed, 
was one of the most vulnerable moments I've ever felt in my life because you have one speed when you're post-surgery at that point. Right. There's no speeding up. There's no way I could have gone faster. Oof. And I felt really scared. Yeah. Across that street to get to the to the lecture. I was as close as I, you know, I parked as close as I possibly could have. Anyway, so he went on this lecture tour to basically share with the world his thoughts about fascia and not to, you know, not, not, it's not like he's sitting there saying, and they said fascia was this and it's not, it's what I say it is. He wasn't saying, he was just saying, here's this other thing that needs to be incorporated. And he just came up with this like really whimsical, like, you know, creative mad scientist ways of trying to show, look, the superficial fascia is a strong mother ucker. Like Hmm. this is, it's not okay to leave its tensional properties off the table, not in the bucket. Don't throw it away. We've got to make sure that the whole body's fascia relationships are included. And that to me was really exciting. And Mm -hmm. I'm really glad I went downtown Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then sat in two hours of traffic to get home. Oh my gosh, that's devotion. But I do hear nothing but wonderful things about Gil Headley for many years. I've from people I really trust. Um, so I want to check him out some more. I, the question that comes to mind from what you just said for me is just how how can we take care of our fascia so that we can? Well, we might have to also talk first about potential dysfunctions that occur, you know, either from everyday life or yoga or whatever physical endeavors you do? What are, what are some common dysfunctions in the fascia? Dysfunctions in in fascia is going to be dysfunctional other body parts too. So, you know, lack of use, lack of use, lack of movement. So stagnation, too much stretch, like, so too much stretch happens by sitting. Like we sit for, an inordinate amount of time. And it, it is the sedentarism of our country, sedentarism of the planet. Sedentarism is the really the fourth largest, it's said to be the fourth largest disease category in according to the World Health Organization. And musculoskeletal injuries are continuing to rise to precipitous levels. Becoming a physical therapist is one of the most promising jobs you can have on the planet to take care of these musculoskeletal issues. And musculoskeletal issues tend to be a failure of uh, resilient connective tissue, resilient fascial tissues. So we want to have how do you get strong connective tissues? By, you know, by loading them, by training them, by exercising by what Katie Bowman calls having a movement-rich diet, by using your body to full capacity. And it doesn't mean that you have to lift a thousand pounds of heavy weight, but you should regularly address the strength and mobility of every segment of your body on a regular basis. And you can do that in very pedestrian ways, you know, by walking instead of driving your car, by carrying many things instead of having somebody else carrying them for you or using a shopping cart using all of your, your faculties, carry things on your head, crawl, roll, you know, return to those sort of the, the primal seat, the squat, the mm-hmm. astrograph squat. And all of these things will help. I also am an advocate for body hygiene, which is really about, you know, the brushing and flossing of your tissues, just like you would brush and floss your teeth. 
you want to use tools that also stimulate you if you're not getting stimulated. So like, for example, the pelvic floor. Culturally, we have lots of hangups with our pelvic floor. You can sit on a yoga tune-up ball to stimulate and massage the perineum. And as a yogi or a yogini, if you're into meditation practices, it's a great time to actually do pelvic floor work because you will feel the connection between your uh, breathing apparatus and mula bandha. Mm-hmm. You know, my, the athletes that I work with, that is one of these, these holes is not only the pelvic floor, and forgive me, but it is a hole. Um, <laughs> it's a passageway, but also the respiratory diaphragm, the breathing structures in our body can be can become problematic from the habits we, that we have in life. And so the fascial tissues that are part of the musculoskeletal relationship of the breathing muscles can also become stiff. So I'm, of course, an advocate for the practices I teach, which are using different therapy, the different role model therapy balls to stimulate the, the tensional relationships and also the nervous system relationships. So, yeah, I think I'm kind of finally putting it together a little bit more. Okay, so no graceful exit for this interview. Jill had to, I think we were talking for an hour and a half, and she had to go pick up her kid at school. So that's the end of this one. As I said, this is part one. Part two will come out in just two more days. So hang in there. And until the next episode, roll your fascia. Roll your fascia.